The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome into episode three of season three of the Drum Candy Podcast. This is your host, Mike Dawson, coming to you from Drum Factory Direct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm not sure if I've ever even described what Drum Factory Direct is, but it is an e-commerce site. So if you're looking for replacement parts for pretty much any type of drum, lugs, hoops, tension rods, washers, screws, spurs, we have all that. We also have all assortment of, you know, the widest range of drum head selection, drum sticks. Um, there's some stands and hardware, drum shells if you want to build out your own drums. So if you haven't yet, uh, head over to drumfactordirect.com and have a look around. Okay, this season, if you haven't figured it out already, what I, we've done is we are blowing out the format from season two. So instead of cramming interviews and lessons and gear talk all into one episode, we're going to give each of those segments a full episode. So episode one was our 10 Reasons to Love. We did Steve Gadd. We're going to continue that monthly, once a month. And then episode two was Heavy Gear Talk. We talked about the, the Maple Snare Jump Shootout with Carter McLean. And here for the third episode, we are doing a long-form interview, and we have David Throckmorton in the studio, and he is interviewing Kush Abaday. Kush has been super active on the New York City jazz scene since he was a teenager. He's worked with everyone from Ravi Coltrane and Chris Potter and Nicholas Payton, and most recently with saxophonist Miss Melissa Aldana. And right at the time of this interview, he was just about to go on a jazz cruise with singer Dee Dee Bridgewater. So it's a fun interview. Uh, David and Kush had met at a festival, I believe, earlier this year or last summer. So it's cool to just have two guys in that world. Um, this is what they would probably talk about backstage. So let's get to it with Kush Abaday. So how are yeah, you, man? Cool. I'm good, dude. It's uh, yeah. it's been a minute. Yeah. I'm yeah, I saw you guys. I saw you in we hung a little bit in Rochester, I think it was. Yeah, during the fest. Yeah. And then I did you play the Pittsburgh Festival with, with Melissa as well? Uh did we play Pittsburgh? I can't remember, she, man. She, she, she was on the bill. I just didn't know if you were on the date, but I did, I, I got there after you guys had finished that day. We played later that day. Yeah, I think we might have played Pittsburgh. I, we played so many festivals after that. Right. It was like on that. a it was like on a soccer field. Does that ring a bell? Like like three no. stages. Okay, maybe no, somebody subbing or something. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> it's all okay. fog now, man. Yeah, I hear you, man. <laughs> and you're about to go out on the jazz cruise, correct? I am. Yeah, I'm going out with Dee Dee Bridgewater. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, we were supposed to do the the last jazz cruise, but. Of course, because of uh, pan the pandemic, they canceled all the cruises. So yeah. they actually were able to get us on this one coming up. So it's it's cool. It'll be my first cruise. Yeah, I haven't done one of those, man. I, we're, there's some talks about us doing one of those with Dan maybe next year. But um, nice, see, man. You know, nice. Yeah. Uh, um, so I appreciate you doing this right before you're about to leave, man. It's um, it's great to see you and talk to you, man. Um, likewise. So. I just wanted to ask you first. Um, I uh, my father was a drummer. My my right. so I so I was you know and there's that's not super uncommon you know, but um, I wanted just to hear a little bit about when you could speak a little bit about your dad and 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 how you started playing if you wouldn't mind talking about that. Absolutely. Um, yeah, you know it's uh, I, I I feel like that's one of the biggest inspirations. Um, not just in my in my music and my drumming, but in my life. Yeah. Um, you know, so I was really lucky to have a um uh, a, a father who who really uh saw my interest in something that he was doing professionally. And instead of forcing me to do it the right way or forcing me to 
you know, stay focused with it. He just kind of guided me in the right way. Yeah. Um, and he, he, he was able to see how I was, how I was, you know, having more and more of a, a of an interest in it. So I, I really appreciated that he did it that way. Um, yeah. But he's, he's originally from Pittsburgh, actually. He was born yeah. in Pittsburgh. I, I, yeah, I think, I, we I think you mentioned that. it. I think you briefly mentioned that. And I actually started to watch a, a long interview with your dad that I'm about halfway through. And he mentioned that. And then it, that rang a bell. And I remember you telling me that briefly, right. you know, yeah. um, before I think he went to Buffalo after that. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. He yeah. was raised in Buffalo. Basically. Okay. Um, yeah. And he had three other siblings and uh, no one else kind of, um, no one else played music. He, his his okay. parents weren't, weren't necessarily music inclined. I, I wouldn't even go as far to call them fans. Um, yeah. But, uh, but uh, l- later on, it actually became known to my father that his father had, uh, an interest in trying to wanting to play the drums okay. and he didn't find that out until on his, when he was on his deathbed. Oh, you know? wow. So that's a very, yeah, it's a very interesting, um, little detail there. But, um, but yeah, my, my dad, you know, kind of grew up in Buffalo and, and, you know, uh, came up playing with a lot of the, uh, a lot of the bands that would come through Buffalo actually. Sure. Between him and, my uncle uh, Virgil Day on my mother's side. Okay, um, he was able to play with uh, people like Freddie Hubbard and Dexter Gordon. Oh, wow. you know all these people to come through. Um, would that Mingus, have been in the? You know. Was that like in the the eighties, the seventies? What? When, this what? is more in like we're talking like early seventies, yeah, uh, late sixties. You know, because okay. my dad just turned seventy five. Okay, yeah, you know, so he was born forty seven. So he was um. He was still in Buffalo around um, pretty much mid to late 60s, early 70s. Okay. And then he kind of migrated to New York City at some point. Okay. Yeah, for for a brief, brief little stint, maybe like a year, year and a half. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And, and, and do you have siblings or are you, are you the only child or? Yeah, I have, uh, I have, I have uh, three other siblings. I have two, actually four. I have two sisters and two brothers. Is so, anybody, anyone involved in music other than yourself? I'm the only one that's doing it for profession or, okay. for, or professionally, you know? Um, yeah. They all, they all, they all have an interest in music and they all love music and love jazz and love, yeah. you know, the music my dad plays and everything, but no one decided to go down that route professionally. Yeah. Okay. And are you the youngest as well? Also? I am also the youngest. Okay. Yeah, I was the yeah. youngest. I, I just have a brother, an older brother that plays, but but and he, you know, he played pretty seriously for a while. But um, it's interesting having that 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 around. I mean, like I have two sons that are right. getting a little older now. I'll be fifty in January, and my kids are like about to be twenty and seventeen, and they they didn't really mess with the drums being around the house at all until the last few years, which just baffled me because you. You know, where I grew up, you were fighting for a time on the drums, you know, and yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Exactly. You couldn't leave them alone. I, w- w- were you playing? Um, were you just playing around the drums before you eventually got serious? How, how did how did that happen? Well, you know, I've always been surrounded by the drums. You know, I don't really know life uh, at that age, around like two or three, without 
yeah. having some kind of percussion around because sure. my dad's drums were always uh, set up and he would practice every day and he had a bunch of different types of percussion yet you know marimbas and xylophone and 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 the piano and when I was around two or three I was gifted like a little child's uh, junior drum kit yeah by one of my dad's drummer friends um, uh, and I had that kit for a long time actually I kind of grew out of that kit but Sure. That kit was the thing that kind of made me um, want to, you know, I felt it was like my size. You know, I felt like, yeah, I felt like, oh, I don't have to sit on my dad's lap to play drums anymore. Yeah, right? sure. And um, and once I started playing that every day, uh, my dad pretty much said, OK, well, I'll, I'll teach you some stuff. You know, the first thing I learned was clave at like t- two. Wow. He just he just taught me the rhythm and I was just play it with two sticks on a cowbell. That was yeah. a, almost as my size. Yeah. And um, you know, I think around like seven or so might have been when I when I started practicing every day. Okay. Um, like seriously, like actually doing stuff, like trying to figure stuff out, you know, playing yeah. things, mimicking things that I had mm-hmm. heard either him do or 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 you know, watching elvin or tony or sure. joe do something yeah um you know so i i I've, I've pretty much always been into you know practicing the drums and you talk about that you know who was going to get on the drums first that was me and my dad okay you know, yeah you know tr- it's pretty much all my upbringing okay you know? yeah D- did you um when you're really young playing like that and you said just trying to mimic things you heard how much of that was playing along to recordings or, or trying to play along stuff? Or was it more just you'd hear stuff and then in your own time, try to assimilate that or try to re- you know replicate the sounds you were hearing or both? I got to say it's a good mixture of both. You know, um, I feel like I've always been listening to records and yeah. trying to and, pl- and wanting to play along to records. I feel like that's where I got most of um, my I, yeah, I feel like that was where most of my focus was, was okay. kind of playing two records to my dad's records. Of course, anything, I, if I had ever, if he, t- if he had taken me to a show or if I had ever watched him practice or seen him play, I was always trying to mimic those things as well. Okay. But I can remember at least as far back as seven or eight or nine consistently playing to records. Yeah. And try and trying to like get the vibe, trying to get the sound. Sure. Like, you know, my, I think the most I did at that point was Max Roach. Okay. That's what I, that's why I was really, cause it, it felt accessible and he was, you know, he was so melodic. Yeah. And so, so precise and so, and, and had such a beautiful beat and momentum and the music he had played to, uh, you know, most of the cats he had played with or his bands, I just, it felt happy and you know? I felt good. I, I wanted to listen to the music itself. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. So that, you know, around that same time, you're playing with Max, checking out Max and others, I'm sure, as well yeah. as your, your dad. I mean, you're, you know, you're a good bit younger than I am. Like I said, I'll be 50 in January this month. You're early 30s. Is that right? I'm, I'm 31. Yeah. yeah. I'm a September kid. Okay. So. I mean, this, this isn't that long ago. I mean, were, were you playing were you playing groove music as well as a young kid, or was it jazz first? It was jazz first for sure. I didn't get okay. into like 
I didn't get into like pocket playing or I didn't even really have an interest in, in it until I pretty much got to like middle school, late middle school, early high school. You know, I had friends that kind of introduced me to, to like, um, well, I will say this actually, I, my introduction to funk was more through my dad's generation. So I was listening to like Billy Cobham sure. and, you know, later Tony and, um, sure, you know, all that that. and then that yeah. era of, so that was my like, Oh, that's, that's what funk is like, yeah. which it is, you know, and then James Brown and P funk and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But my dad wasn't like a huge fan of that stuff. So it wasn't like, you know, you hearing it all the time. Yeah. I wasn't hearing it all the time. I was, my dad's pretty hardcore, uh, you know, jazz heavy. Sure. And, and so was I pretty yeah. much t- until I got to high school, you know? Well, not to skip over things, but when you started to check that stuff out, right? Did you get, did you get serious about it? I mean, I've heard you play some some things that have that side of it, but I've heard you play more, you know, straight ahead jazz or, or modern kind of straight ahead, you know, acoustic kind of music, you know, right? Jazz sounding drums versus like a, you know, like a rock or a fusion kind of funk sounding kit. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, I mean, did, when you started to hear, you know, play more groove stuff or more pocket stuff, or even, you know, I mean, you grew up, were you in DC or Baltimore? I was in DC, uh, a, a bit outside of DC, maybe 20 minutes outside Maryland. Yeah. Much closer to DC. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, not to jump onto what I know about that scene, I mean, being from Pittsburgh, I mean, but I'm sure you would, you probably would see Dennis or Sean Rickman or some of these guys that, that came from a little more of that world than the straight ahead. Sure. So did you, did, did you have any real passion for that kind of playing or did you really jump into that at all? Or, or, or was it always more, I can do that. I like, enjoy that, but I'm, I want to play jazz. Oh, it was absolutely. Uh, I, Got absolutely immersed in the whole uh, uh, Dennis Chambers and Sean Rickman and Ricky Ricky Wellman. Wellman, yeah, yeah. Fan of mine. Um, You know, I was, I I pretty much had these like funny little phases throughout my my high school. And um, I I was always heavy into jazz. I never stopped listening to, um, you know, jazz. But, and that was my focus, especially what I was getting called to do. You know, I started playing professionally at like 13. So yeah. all my gigs were were straight ahead gigs. Yeah. Um, but I was I was so deep into like trying to play. I wanted to play at a certain point. I was setting up my drums just like Dennis Chambers. Sure. Tuning them just like and trying to play all the I got pretty close, like into what I thought was close. Uh, into yeah. that style of playing, sure, copying his solos, and then getting deep into like Vinny Caliuta and Dave Weckl, um, sure, Steve. Yeah, Smith, that's that's know. kind of the world. I mean, I grew up. I was born in '73. I, I don't want to talk much about myself. I'm just trying to, for just conversation. I mean, yeah, my dad came from a jazz background as well as like a like a show band kind of background. Mm-hmm. My my dad played a gig in Pittsburgh for years when I was a really young kid this club called the holiday house where he played, he played 363 days a year at the same venue for that's for a few years, which is just insane. You know? Yeah. That's hardcore. And a lot of that music was playing back in different traveling acts that would come through. And sometimes they would take him out on the road and or whatnot. Um, but having an older brother that played, 
you know, when I was in eighth grade, it's kind of when like Sko was pl- playing with Dennis or when Weckle was playing with Chick. That, right. so, so I was like the right age at the like when that stuff was actually happening, you know? Right, right. So, and then I kind of heard my dad playing jazz records in the house, whether it be Oscar Peterson's trio or Miles with Tony or, you know, whatever, even like 70s stuff, like stuff with with Harvey Mason or Mike Clark, like funkier stuff, you know? But I kind of came back around the jazz through, like, you know, Vinny and Weckl and Dennis and those kind of guys. Um so I was just curious about that. Like if there was a period, what you're saying, you got really into to Dennis and those guys, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it, and it was really deep because each person I, I spent, like I kind of had put them all into a certain category just because they seemed to uh, kind of cycle around each other's gigs. And, you know, if I'd go see Mike Stern, you know, I might, I saw Mike Stern for the first time with Dennis and then I saw him with Dave Weckl. So sure. I, I always put all these people in like, Oh, they're just playing on each other's gigs. They kind of have yeah. similar styles. And I got really deep into each one for like, you know, a, a year or, or like a few months here or there. Sure. Um, and I got kind of this uh, this idea that, oh, I'm just, I found my guy. I'm just going to play like this person. Sure. From the rest of my career, you know, very high school mentality. Of course, right? yeah, that's like, a young, that's a young way of thinking. Yeah, it's a but young it's way exciting. It's, it's very exciting, yeah. though. Well, it's exciting to, to, to start to actually figure out what they're doing or at least get closer to it sure before but than you were before and 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 it yeah it's 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 super fun yeah you know but i did circle back like i wouldn't say i circled back i would say i've i never really left the straight ahead yeah um you know scene or or or, or wanting to play more straight ahead but it was much more natural for me yeah. So I felt like I didn't have to work on it as much as yeah. I did the pocket playing, the James Brown grooves, you know. Sure. The the, the kind of, uh, for lack of a better word, the gospel chops type sure. of I you know, stuff. Yeah. Um, I actually felt like I had to practice that stuff, you know, yeah. and start to listen to it more often, uh, yeah. you know, because the jazz stuff was just ingrained in me so early. Right. Well, I feel like, you know, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, your age, for instance, like for me, like I said, when I was in my, the years where you have this heavy nostalgia, when you think back and when you're really figuring some stuff out and trying to learn, you know, for me, like ages, you know, 14 through like 21, like you're like Mm -hmm. really, you know, there's so much growth through that time if you're playing at, at that age. And those years for me were those years I said where, you know, Dennis is playing all these records and Weckle and Vinny and Will Kennedy. Like you could go on and on, you know. And then circling back to to, to jazz and older records and newer records um, happened a little bit after that for me. But I feel like at your age, maybe the the trendy thing. Sure, gospel chop stuff is big, and a lot of people want to do that. But I sure. mean. I think a lot of the, the the main the name players at the time or the hot players, whatever that means, it had become a little more acoustic than maybe in the late 80s through the 90s, where early 90s, where it was a little more like the fusion thing seemed a little more accessible or, or prominent, you know, not prominent over straight ahead, but there was just more of that happening and more artists leaning that way that later maybe went back to playing more straight ahead. 
you know? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the, when I was coming up, I kind of got the tail end of when fusion was still a, 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 a an happening genre. Like it was yeah. actually happening, you know, sure. you go to a gig and it was like, Oh, this is a fusion band. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And a lot of those drummers like Dave Weckl or, or Cal Uta were put in that category. Of, like, of course. Yeah. Fusion drummers. And then I guess now in, you know, looking back, a lot of the drummers that I started to be influenced by later on when I was like maybe junior, senior in high school, like, um, like Ronald Brunner Jr. or or Thomas Pridgen or, sure. or um, you know, or even a lot of the gospel cats specifically or, or pop cats like Aaron Spears or, sure. or, you know, all those kind of cats. They, I realized that they were heavily influenced by the, the, the Calutas and the Weckles Dennis, and, yeah, sure. and Dennis. Yeah, you know, so obvious. I found I found that same correlation. I was like, yeah, we're all into the same stuff. I yeah. had just gone through a, a deeper route because I had seen that it's kind of the foundations of it started with people like Tony, yeah, you know, and Jack DeJanette and Billy Cobham. And I realized that we all had that in common too, because we were all Tony heads. We were all like, yeah, you know, Jack DeJanette fans. Um, but a lot of these cats that I was so inspired by, um, and, and that I even had a pleasure to like grow up around, like, you know, I'm from DC, yeah. so it's Aaron Spears and I went to high school sure. with a lot of cats that were friends of his. Sure. Um, but I realized my, my depth and my, um, how much I had been rooted in, in the, in the acoustic playing in the beginning. Yeah. I never really saw the disconnect or I never, saw, I just saw that that was always going on. That was okay. always, you know, I mean, that was always a foundation of mine. So I didn't have to like, I feel like there's like this, um, this movement now going back into, you know, like you got, you got like uh, pop cats or rock cats going back to like Art Blakey or Elvin Jones or, yeah, you know, and, and seeing where a lot of their idols got a lot of their stuff from. Sure. You know, um, which is great. I, I, I think it's, um, I think it's really good to follow follow that lineage from the beginning. Right. It's it's you know? I mean it's funny though like you you know you mentioned Aaron and and Ronald Bruner and and Thomas like and you can name three other four other guys or or 20 or whatever and maybe some of those I I would have a slight different feeling about but but you more than them and not all your ages are exactly the same or anything like that even though you've checked out a lot of the same stuff I don't hear the jazz sensibility quite as much in their playing as I as I do yours. Now that might be just the way their gigs, the direction their careers have gone. Doesn't mean they couldn't play. I'm not trying to knock anybody. I love those guys are all phenomenal. Um, sure, but I mean, since the first time I heard you, like one of the things that jumped right out to me, like the first time I saw you, I think was was just just this real beautiful control of the the softer end of the dynamic range at the instrument which is a really hard thing to develop, especially if you come up playing loud music. Sure, know? of course, yeah. You know, were you thinking about playing? I mean, you know, you had a great teacher in the house with your father and around all this music. But, I mean, were you playing, I don't want to say just soft, but did you, were you developing that touch really young, or was that did that come later? Well, you know, when I got to be about, 12, I think 12, is when my dad started, he enrolled me in um, 
this school uh, in, in, in the DMV called uh, the Levine School of Music. And there was a teacher there who he had studied with prior um, named Tom Teasley, who was still very I don't know who that is. Yeah, yeah, Tom. Yeah. So I, st- I studied with Tom for, you know, for a number of years throughout high school. Uh, and he pretty much um, got all of my uh, k- kind of like, you know, uh, molded me into into a complete percussionist uh, slash drummer. Yeah. You know, so I, I, I studied snare drum with him. I studied timpani. I studied marimba. I studied reading. I studied, um, you know, and I also studied jazz with him. So it was like a very complete um, form of, of musical education. Okay. Uh, focused on the, on the drums. And I took that into everything I was started to do later on in life. Um, and so I've, I've, I've always had a strong orchestral percussion background without having, like I've, I played in some junior orchestras uh, here and there, but I never saw myself going like deep into that, but I yeah. do have uh, that. I do have that, uh, those abilities because mm-hmm. I studied it pretty thoroughly. Forks Drum Closet, Nashville's full line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instruments, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. Um, so I, I would say I was lucky enough to be well-rounded by the time I, I got to college. Okay. You know, with, with, with dynamics and, and touch and feel and technique. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a tough thing uh, in some ways because, I mean, I remember when I was 25, my first kind of name gig was playing with Maynard Ferguson's band when I was 25. Right. My first gig right. was on my 25th birthday. And um, it was a loud band, you know? Sure, sure. <laughs> and there was tons of dynamics, of course. We, we would play soft. But, I mean, the the loud end was I, – I couldn't play loud. I mean, I could play as loud as I wanted, you know? And Maynard was very giving and just – he was just very encouraging play do your thing do whatever you want like he was he liked me which helped that but i remember coming off that band and playing a gig with a great brazilian singer like a restaurant gig and i was capable of playing really quiet but i just had this i had this this like realization like like man i i need to be able to play way quieter than i than i'm playing (laughs) and and it was quiet it was very quiet but it was just this kind of reminder, like, oh man, you don't know anything. Like you need to, <laughs> to really, really work on that. And and yeah. it, has that been a process for, for you? Or did like did you did you ever have to think about that side of it? Or was it just the music always just the music informs us of how to play? Or if you're a, a thinking and sensitive musician, the last thing we want to do is be, you know, a bull in a china shop. You know, you want to play the music. But you have right. a really beautiful handle on it that I don't. I mean, there's there's tons of great players, but I mean that jumped out of me 
um, right off the bat when I heard you. It was just this real beautiful touch, you know. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. Um, I definitely uh, got very humbled when I moved to New York. Um, and for, uh, for a number of reasons. But I would say the main uh, handful of reasons is because when I when I left when I graduated college uh, sorry when I graduated high school mm-hmm. right before I did I was able to um, get uh, uh, start playing with the 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 great late uh, Wallace Ronit right I so want to bring I, that up eventually yeah I played with uh, Wallace um, for about six years and going into Berkeley I went in with a, a pretty an, an international gig so that was yeah. already I never found myself as a, or considered myself as a as a, a, a an arrogant person. Yeah. Um, but but having that going into school does give you some air of confidence that everyone sure. else doesn't really possess, you know. And at a school like Berkeley, I wasn't the only one like that. You know, I I my my roommate was Justin Faulkner. He yeah. had just joined Branford at the time. Sure. Yeah. Um, I went to, I went to school with Joe Dyson, you know, who was playing with Donald Harrison at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Jonathan Pitson, who was playing with everybody at the time. Mark, you know, I, the list goes on. It's sure. Really yeah. Kind of a cra- crazy drum uh time at at, at it Berkeley. sounds like it, yeah, yeah. But um, but I moved to New York uh, around 2012 and still had the Wallace gig. But what I found was um I couldn't adapt everything I was doing in Wallace's band to every gig that I would get called to do in New York. Sure. And that was a very abrupt lesson, you know, because yeah. I, 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 I had kind of gone in with the same confidence that I did at Berkeley with, because I had a gig. I was like, Oh, well I'll get gigs here. You know, New York is going to be really good and warm to me. And it really took me like a good two years to start working consist- consistently outside yeah. Wallace. And that took a lot of um, dedication to how to relearn how to play dynamics, really. Sure. Because what I had understood dynamically in Wallace's band is very different. Not to say we didn't play dynamically, but I was sure. still learning how to play in that band, too. I was still growing up. Yeah. So... Um, I, I still had to, I felt like I've always had a decent understanding of how to play a room. Yeah. You know, cause my dad was the one who really kind of taught me that in the beginning, but with, with, with being that young and playing with someone uh, like Wallace, you know, there are still things to learn in control and moderation and when to do certain things. Yeah. And I think also being so influenced, that band being so influenced by the great second quintet of Miles Davis. Sure. There's a lot of elements that I think people think it's one thing and it's really so layered in so many other things that a lot of people don't actually execute or touch on, i.e. dynamics. Yeah. Um, or or space, you know, yep. or touch or even just musicality in general. Sure. So I, I definitely had that like awakening or, or abrupt rude awakening yeah. at certain points that over the years after I left Wallace and started to get more calls, I really did 
you know, knuckle down and, and try to hone in on how to create more of a versatile approach to 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 dynamics and to technique and 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 also just playing stylistically accurate for whatever I was get, being called for. Sure. And I think that's a that took a good like solid five years for me yeah. to completely because it's a lot. It's not, not like a simple thing to do. It's almost like you have to kind of reach re re reacclimate or just re transform your playing in a way in a yeah. scene that is constantly growing and evolving. Yeah. You know, and constantly looking for the new thing or constantly, you know, trying to recreate or reinvent itself. Um, yeah. It's a very, it's a very vibrant, active scene, you know? Um, so I definitely went through that for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and it wasn't always fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, but those are, it's great to have those experiences that, I mean, you know, I hope I just continue to have those where you learn, you're learning new properties of the instrument and of music in general. You know, it's just fun to play in new situations and try to figure out the, whatever the riddle is to make that, whatever that music is, that, that little zone to, to be able to, 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 you know, to execute that. And it's in a, in a musical appropriate way, whatever that is, you know? Sure. I mean, sure. Wallace's gig, and let's talk about that for a second. Now, you were really young. What were you sixteen when you joined Wallace? I was or? I was sixteen. Uh, I was fifteen and a half when I first sat in with him. Yeah, with the band, and That's I was insane. sixteen. Yeah. Sixteen when he officially uh, had uh, asked me to be join the band. Yeah, that's insane, yeah. man. Um, I mean, there's such a strong. Like you, you brought Miles the Second Quintet. Wallace obviously playing with. Um, um, sorry, man, I guess it was on the screen. I'm trying to get away from. Uh, okay, sorry. Um, All good. The association with Tony's band, you know, the band with Billy Pierce and and Mulgrew and everyone. Um, sure. I mean, how was there a lot of talk about Tony from 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 Wallace, or was was it just like do your thing, like like you know, how much direction did he give you? How much did he just let you do your thing? You were so young, you know. Yeah, I was so young, so impressionable. I was still growing. Um, I think anyone who knows knew Wallace uh, would un would would know that. <laughs> I mean, you you could talk about Tony every day, yeah, and and something new would pop up. You know, uh, same yeah. with Miles, same with Art Blakey. I mean, the way he would talk about these people was in was in such a. Uh, he had so much honor and respect for them, but also you could tell how much he really knew these people more than a lot of people claimed to know them. Yeah. Uh, you know, especially Tony, um, because he, he was very close to Tony and, um, you know, I, I, I think he's the only non drummer that I know that knows. Of course. More yeah. about drums than most drummers. Yeah. Um, simply because he loved the instrument so much, but because he he got an opportunity to play with most of the great drummers of that time that were still around sure. that kind of um, engineered uh, bebop and post-bop playing. Um, and he was just a sponge. You know, he constantly asked questions. He constantly, you know, he's like, 
you know, Buhena, why do you why why do you tune the drums like that? Or Elvin, why do you what do you why do you do this? You know, he was just he was so curious. Um, but yeah, I mean, we talked about Tony uh, like all the time. We talked about Miles all the time. We talked about Dizzy a lot. You know, we talked about um, uh, Clark Terry a bunch. We talked about Art Blakey all the time. Sure, we talked about Elvin all the time. You know, yeah. it's because we he he really. He really loved these people, but he really learned so much from these people. Well, that's such a great um, thing about you know? playing with older musicians in general. It's just like being a, a sponge and just wanting to hear all these stories. I mean, it's just like that's that's just great that you have to experience that, especially so young. You know, I had to be really? so impressionable, yeah. you know. That's yeah. amazing, man. It's re- it really was a beautiful thing. So back to, to school for a second. Did you mm-hmm. did you finish at Berkeley? Like all your no, I didn't. I didn't finish. I did. Uh, I, I did about. I did about four, four semesters, something like that. Okay. Um, and then I, I split. I went back home to DC for about a year. Okay. Um, just to like save up some money and yep. you know, play some more and just like be outside of the scholastic environment, just to try to mm-hmm. figure out what I really wanted to do, how I wanted to do it. I mean, I knew that New York was gonna be the move be? i just yeah. didn't know i was gonna do it i didn't want to do it like right away right fresh out of school yeah you know um but then i eventually moved to new york yeah about a year later so you what were you 20 when you went to new york i was 21? 20 20 yeah 20 when i moved yeah who, who were some of the i mean i i know a lot of people you've played with but w- w- can you talk a little bit about the your you know early days in new york for you what what you were kind of um who you were playing with, you know, mostly or, or, or what, what was really important to you, maybe your first couple of years in, in New York? Sure. Yeah. I, um, you know, I was lucky enough to, uh, like I said, go to New York with a gig and with a gig with someone who everyone knew. Yeah. So that definitely created some type of, um, curiosity and buzz about yeah. like, Oh, well, who's this, who's this kid that's playing with Wallace? Sure. Um, and even though you have that, there is still this, um, funny thing that happens in New York where you can go and hang out and people meet you and they meet you five or six, seven times and they don't remember you. They haven't heard you yet. Yeah. You know? And because that's the memorable thing that happens, um, of course, when, when, when someone strikes your attention, it's like, oh, it's cause you heard them and, and you realize you met them like twice already, you know? Yeah. So that happened a lot. Um, and at a certain point, you know, I was definitely starting to get a couple of calls from a couple of people um, just to like do a lot of sub work for a lot of the cats that were already around and playing. I did a lot of subbing for Marcus Gilmore. I did a lot of subbing for Justin Brown. Um, you know, I got called by people like Steve Teray and Nick Payton and, and to do all these like you know, just like people are trying me out a lot. Sure. Um, and not all, some, sometimes some stuff stick, stuck. Sometimes it didn't stick. It just wasn't the right, or I wasn't ready for something at the time. Yeah. Um, I remember I was lucky enough to get a tour from, a tour request from Buster Williams. Um, and the first time it happened, I I couldn't do it because I had some obligations with Wallace, but 
I realized now looking back, I was able to do another tour with him about five years later. And looking back, I realized I would not have been ready. I was not ready for that. Sure. At at the moment when he first initially called me. Um, and then I guess maybe, maybe my like second year in New York, year and a half in, something like that. Uh, there was this piano player who's from New York named Theo Hill. Um, and he called me to do a gig with uh, Frank Kumbalasi, uh, a great trombonist. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that band called the Smalls Legacy Band at Smalls Jazz Club. Um, and at this point, it wasn't even, I don't even think it was called that yet. We were just doing like the jam session at the end of the night, you know. So yeah. I did that gig a few times uh, with. Josh Evans on trumpet and various bass players, maybe Ben Williams at some point, Amin Salim or Sean Carter, um, Corcoran Holt. You know, these are great New York bass uh, bass players. And so I did that gig a lot, and it was kind of the gig I had. It was one of those things where I had a gig every week. Yeah, and I was playing with the same band every week, and that was, um, you know, that's a very rare thing, especially in this day and age. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of like propelled a lot more opportunities for me because Smalls is a, is a, is a club where you, you can, it's a, there's a lot of, uh, you know, it's a lot of, um, uh, coverage. I mean, you can, an exposure, you know? So I was being seen every week and I got a lot of gigs based off of sure. just being there. Yeah. Um, and so I got a lot of different calls and opportunities to, Again, more sub work. You know, that's kind of like how the thing happens in New York. You yeah. sub enough and you sub for all these people. And then usually it, it, you become you become a, a, a yeah. permanent member, you know, if you're good enough. Um, so, yeah, I got I got really I got really lucky um, to, to be in the right place at the right time. I feel like was, was that band with Frank. Would you rehearse at all? Was it just. Just show up at the gig and play. We we would play. It was almost like we played like the same tunes every week. Okay, you know, so it was almost like every gig was a rehearsal. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and the gig had the gig had already kind of been set. They were using a lot of different drummers, trying a lot of cuts, and I think once I played with them, it just kind of stuck. I I I kept getting called for that gig. Yeah, and then it became we uh, a name for it, and then we did a live record. Um, and, and then it just, it became a thing, you know, we almost, we almost took the band on the road a few times, but, um, you know, I think some, some things fell through for unforeseen circumstances, but, um, yeah, it was, it, it it was a band very fully intact, but it wasn't like, uh, you know, it was, we didn't rehearse or we didn't, you know, go on the, on the road or anything like that. And we were very obviously free to do other gigs, but, um, yeah. but it did feel like very much like a, uh, like a, like a special thing. Yeah. Cause you, you, you had that, like you said, it was a weekly thing. You could, you could develop this, you know, you were playing in that setting as well as the band's identity and what you were trying to, you know, to develop exactly. as, a, as a group, which is exactly. an important, it's nice to have that. A, yeah. a band with some familiarity where you can, you know, a get, you know, develop these connections musically with the with the other players, but 
but to develop a sound of a band is such a such a great thing, you know. Yeah, yeah, it was beautiful. You know, I miss I miss those days sometimes. Were you at this point trying to lead any dates, any any gigs or any bands? And and are you doing that much now? Uh, at the moment, um, I'm not doing so much of that. I'm I'm writing a lot though, so I do have. Uh, uh, do you play piano? I play piano as well. Okay. Um, I actually started playing piano when I was six. That was another thing my dad was very adamant about. He's like, if you're going to do this and be into music, I think every musician should yeah. know how to play the piano. Yeah. So I started taking official lessons um, with a jazz and classical um, pianist. Um, and then just I just kept doing that. Even through high school, I middle school and high school i went to school as a piano major they were art oh wow art they were art high schools and i didn't actually play drums um for a lot of that time i mean i was playing gigs and stuff but i wasn't every day in school playing drums i was actually playing classical piano were, were, were you were you thinking about the drums a lot though even though you weren't playing oh, all the time I mean, did time. you consider yourself a drummer or were, or were you not sure if, which way you were going to go? You know, I knew I knew exactly what I was going to do. Okay. It was more just to be in school and to yeah. be part because they didn't have like a, there was no like it wasn't like a drum program. It was like you could be a it. band, be in concert band. Yeah. Or you could be, you know, and I was. It, it just made more sense for some reason to yeah. enter in with the piano. Yeah. Um, but I was practicing every day on drums okay. still, and I was playing gigs on drums. So it was a very, I had a, such a duality in that time yeah. of my life. Um, and I've been actually practicing a lot more classical piano these days and a lot more just trying to get my, 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 my chops back. <laughs> yeah, that's great. You know? I, I wish I would have played young. I mean, I, uh, you know, I could fool around a little bit and, but I, I always think I'm going to maybe one of these days try to take it a little more serious but who knows man it's, i mean and you play i mean it sounds silly but i almost feel like i can hear that in your playing that, that 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 you play piano it's like there's a i don't know so certain players that have that that you know they play you can almost hear it and they're playing you know no, that, might, sure. that might sound ridiculous when i hear jack like knowing that he plays piano it just makes so much sense to me you know i agree I completely agree. And same with someone like Brian Blade, who, you know, completely also, yeah. you know, plays uh, chordal instruments and piano and guitar and, and yeah. sings. So you can hear so all much music in the drumming. Yeah. Sensitivities that he Beautiful. has towards yeah. that musicality. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of jumping all over the place. You have to excuse it's me. all good. That's how my brain works. So. Yeah. I remember <laughs> when we, when we, when we first talked, well, the first time I met you was, you said it on a tune. At a, or two or two at a gig of mine at Con Alma in Pittsburgh. That was Con I Alma. That. I, rem I remember that. You yeah. were talking with Ravi and Orn was on the gig. And um, right, right. And we 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 you know exchanged. I handed you the sticks and you played. And I came back and I remember you saying, "Man, you got some nice cymbals," which is always yeah, a great, yeah. great thing to hear. But we didn't get to really kick it that night. But right. but when we talked in Rochester. As soon as we started hanging, we started talking about gear. Right, right. Sometimes that can go south, or it can you can really hit it off with somebody. And you were like, same with when I met Obed the first time. It was like, we just started geeking out on gear right away. And it's like, oh, cool. We're we're like minds, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was fun. Um, when you were, let me ask you about Wallace's gig. When you played Wallace's gig, were you were you playing a 
like a bebop kid at that point? Or were you playing a bigger setup? Well, the interesting thing about Wallace's gig is that I was playing his drums. Okay, that, that was for, my next question. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's kind of how um, his band operated for a long time because he had so many drums. Yeah. And he had, he had, um, he also had a, 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 a kit of Tony's drums uh, from like the later 80s. Uh, and so he had a lot of drums made for him. Uh, he had a, he had a very good relationship with Gretsch uh, and he had a great relationship with a lot of, um, different like uh you know um freelance drum makers yeah and, i've heard some about this yeah <laughs> um and some relationships went south and some you know <laughs> more more south than others and yeah. um and uh so he i pretty much my whole six year stint i was playing his drums and i though they were there were four different kits that i can remember specifically the first one i ever played on was it was what you would call the size of everything a bop kit okay but it was a specially made kit uh that was kind of a kit that someone made for gretch okay and gretch was kind of eyeing it and wanted to make another version of it Mm -hmm. and it was a very specific um kit i remember this kit was so heavy because the bass drum was like 30 ply okay yeah and it was like bronze hoops and there was like you know all the all the all the hardware was super heavy with i hated lugging that kit around yeah but we used to actually travel on the road with that kit Uh, it was like a ruby ruby red uh 12 12 inch mountaintop 14 and then uh there were a couple snares with it but it was mainly like a five and a half. Uh, it was actually like um, like so some of the hardware on it was like Rogers, like mm-hmm. the old old school Rogers kit. Like so, the mount was yep. a Rogers mount, and uh, the way the Gretsch was on the drum, written on the drum, was like as if Rogers was written on the drum. Oh, like a script thing. Like a script, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's very, it was a very specific, uh, specific custom specs for yeah. Wallace that he wanted for that kit. And then throughout the years, I, I, you know, he had another kit made by Gretsch. It was a solid shell kit, um, and those the same sizes. Um, like it was, it was almost like a, uh, I forget, it's like a beige, like a lighter, very natural, like oaky, woody lo- mm-hmm. looking kit. Um, and then there was like this, like lights, ice blue, almost maybe like teal kit. That was, I feel like I've seen pictures of that. Yeah. That that's finish. A, that's, yeah. That's a really funny kit. I mean, that's a really fun kit. That was a fun kit to play. I think that was like, that might've been an actual vintage kit from the fifties Okay, that he got restored. Um, and, and then there was a fourth kit in there somewhere and I can't, Oh, it's not important. I was just yeah, I can't curious, remember. You know? But those that was that was <clears throat> that was pretty much the kit that I played on. It was it was it was yeah, it was the bop sizes. Yeah, um, you know, and pretty much that's what you're playing most of the time now, correct? I mean, majority of the time playing playing majority majority of the yeah. time. Yeah, I like to. I love a, a good you know eighteen, twelve, fourteen, maybe sixteen floor. But usually, yeah. I like to keep it simple. Um, yeah, you know vary up the snare sizes a little bit but yeah yeah um i know when i when i saw you 
Melissa's group, you were playing the Istanbul Agop or Agop stuff, mm-hmm. uh, which mm-hmm. sounded sounded great. How long have you been with with them? Uh, that was a relationship that started with Wallace. Okay, so uh, as soon as I I began with Wallace, because he actually had an endorsement with this uh, Istanbul, <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> Yeah. And uh, he had them, you know, he had, he was working on some cymbals. He actually, I mean, Wallace was a, a very interesting cat when it came to the drums. He also had a, a relationship with Zildjian. Sure. You know, and he had a, there was. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a, there's a lot there's of a lot urban of, legend about all this yeah, stuff. You know? a, yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, but anyway, yeah, the, the Istanbul has been with, uh, since about, I was like 16, 17. Oh, wow. Um, more officially in the later years, because I was kind of softly with them and I was sure. like shopping around and stuff. Yeah. Uh I hadn't signed any paperwork or nothing like that. But yeah, now now I am officially on the on the artist roster. Um and I think it's I think they're the greatest symbols made they right make, now. Yeah, they make really beautiful stuff, man. Um they're they're great. I'm not I have a few things of theirs I really like. I mean, there's one symbol that it's you know pretty much ends up on every gig I play on the left side. It's just an amazing symbol. I haven't found anything that comes close to it. You know, right, right. Makes some yeah. beautiful stuff. And, and I really do. I mean, obviously being in New York and on the road. I mean, when I'm on the you know you're always playing other people's stuff. You're bringing symbols most of the times. But um, if when you do play your own gear, you're, I know we when we talked, you were telling me you, you we we all love Gretsch drums. I mean, you're telling me your fondness for Gretsch and. You know, I have a deal with Yamaha. Um, I think you were telling me, I think I remember you saying you favored Gretsch if you had to pick or whatever. Are you, is your own personal gear Gretsch stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I, the, I have a few, I have a few kits. Um, most of them are in DC, but the one I have up here is a Gretsch. Okay. Uh, a vintage Gretsch from 70, 72. I think it's an ebony kit. Oh, nice. um, is, it, yeah. is it, is it lacquer or is it wrap? It's a uh, wrap. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, that's, it's just, you know, just like they've always been marketed that great Gretsch sound. Of course. Can't get, yeah. Can't get rid of that. And yeah. I no agree. matter, no matter what other kid I play, I always you try hear to that make kind of, it sound yeah, like yeah, yeah. a Gretsch kit. You know? Yeah. I mean, I do that even with my Yamaha stuff. It's like, there's still a Gretschiness that I go for with, with that sound as well. It's like, it's you know um on on melissa aldana's newest record is that your is that your kid on that record that's my kit yeah yeah because i was listening to that today just prepping a little bit for this and i mean like you said you, you're going for that even when you're not playing grass drums but i was hearing just the sound of the the, the 12 and the 14 specifically mm. i was like and those have to be grass drums man, you know <laughs> and you can hear like like the sounds of rim shots on those drums. There's such a specific thing with those hoops. I was like, oh, man, man. It has, and the tone is so beautiful, man. You're tuning thank you. high on there, but it's, it's, it's such a great, great sound, man. Um, thank you. You know, yeah, don't, I'm not trying to blow smoke. I mean, I, you, <laughs> no, I appreciate it. Player, man. I mean, some really beautiful stuff. Like, I don't want to get too drum geeky, but like, Lots of beautiful two-handed stuff on the cymbals that I don't hear a lot of people mm. doing. At least people from like when I came up playing, not to sound like an old guy. Um, <laughs> so many beautiful younger players now. Um, um, 
can you can you just talk a little bit about for those that might not know about? I know you've been working a lot with Melissa's group. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much a working band. Um, yeah. If you want to just maybe maybe speak on that a little bit about about that group and the record. Yeah. You know, it's a very special group. I think um, out of all the groups I've ever been had a pleasure to be a part of, this is by far my favorite. Yeah. Um, simply just because of the openness and the camaraderie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also because we challenge each other. We always make each other kind of bring the best out of each other um, yeah. when, it, when it comes to music and when it comes to, I think, the vision of the, of the band. Um, the way she operates is very much uh, as a democracy uh, rather than to say, this is my band. Yeah. Obviously, it's her, it's her, it very much is her band, but she's very gracious with, um, with, with, with responsibility, you know, yeah. being de- delegated throughout the band. Um, so that, that record was really special to do. Um, for, for all those reasons. And also we, we, you know, we worked with the great James Farber, uh, mm-hmm. uh who engineered that and, um, at Dave Stoller's studio and okay. the, the Samurai Hotel in Queens. Um, so the whole, the whole project was just, it felt very warm and very, you know, uh, a very, a very collective, uh, yeah. uh, warm spirit, which was great. Um, yeah, all the originals are hers at the, at that point. Um, they had been arranged uh, by Lage Lund, who's playing mm-hmm. guitar and also produced that record. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, it's it's funny when you have like you 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 play as a band certain tunes and then they're completely kind of revamped for a record and it changes the now. So now we just have like two versions of a lot of those tunes, which is okay. cool. Um, but. Uh, yeah, we're we're planning on doing another record in I think like April after we do uh, the Vanguard for have, have you been playing that material yet? What will be we're we're still we're 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 kind of we're kind of uh starting to slowly starting to incorporate yeah. the new newer tunes. Yeah. And, you know, it's a gradual process. Sure, sure, I understand. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know how it is. So, um and things are still being written. So, yeah. um but we are kind of slowly getting into working that material into the into the show. Yeah, it's always you nice know. to to be able to play play stuff before you get around to recording it. You know, oh I've for made, sure, I made so many records where you're like, you learn it and record it, and then you're like, oh man, like I wish I would have had some time with this music. You know, it's like, it's, it's, like it's so much better later. You know, it's funny with that first record that we just did. Um, we only played those versions of those tunes once before in, in, in a live setting. Okay. And we had maybe one or two rehearsals before that. So that music was very fresh yeah. on the, on the record and not overly rehearsed, I guess is what I mean. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, from hearing the band live, I mean, it's, it seems like it's, you guys have a real identity as a group and, you know, I mean, you all, you know, everyone plays so well. I mean, it's it's going to sound like you guys, whether it's whether it's new material or or old material, you know. Right, right. I right. mean, that's just something I've been realizing in general. It's like you know, you, we can all head trip on all this stuff. Like for instance, like my symbols got lost this year a couple times. Oh, one long period, and I just started getting fed up. Like I'll just play whatever's there. I just kind of started. 
to have that like an old guys. I was just like, man, let me do what like Paul Motion and Joey Barron do and just play whatever's there, you know? And I and I realized right away, like even guys I play with all the time, like they don't know, they don't really know the difference. It just sounds like me playing the drums, you know? And I think when you're playing with a group, if I can somehow find a way to connect those things, like it's going to come off sounding like what you do, you know, like I, I said earlier, it'd be nice to have this extra time to develop it, which you mm-hmm. might hear stuff from a year later and realize, oh, it sounds like me all, all along. The thread is still there. It exactly. sounds like the way we play, you know? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, your, your identity is very much, it doesn't matter about the instrument as much as how you, yeah. How do you utilize the instrument? Your sound's always going to come through. Yeah. You know, and that happened to me that. too. Yeah. That happened to me with the cymbals. I, I, I had this very, I don't know if we talked, we probably talked about it a little bit. I don't know. I may, or maybe it had actually, I think it may have happened right after that. Okay. <laughs> Where I lost my cymbals for pretty much the remainder of a tour. Okay. And I had to just play a bunch of cymbals that were there. And I had this, the exact same, uh, you know, reaction to it. I was like, maybe it should just be like Joey Barron, man. Just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just not care about this shit anymore. You know? Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it, it was interesting because some through some of the symbols, even though they could hear like sonically, it wasn't quite the texture or color of my symbols, but they were like, yeah, but it still sounded like you. Yeah. Well, I mean, you I, know. I saw a short video that Dan took or somebody posted of Dan's group. Dan Wilson's group that I play with. And right, right. Like one of the first gigs I was playing some backline cymbals. And and like on if you saw what the models were, you were like, oh, they, these should sound really good. They were just particularly bad versions of those models, you know? Right. Right. But again, a camera from 10 feet away in the crowd, like I was like, oh yeah, it just sounds like me playing. I mean, I even I was like, oh yeah, it just sounds like me. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I think that's a really great lesson to learn, is just that to not obsess with that stuff and just try to, to try to be able to, to, to bring this stuff to light, the music to life yeah. or to light, like, you know, with, with whatever you're dealing with. And it's, and it's, it helps you learn to focus on the, on your, on your touch and the playing and, and learning to, to get new things out of that. I mean, did you find that playing some, some uh, unfamiliar symbols as, as well? I mean, for sure. I, I think it's always a lesson in um, in uh, how malleable you can be, you yeah. know, and how how much you you really have to uh, take some time with the instrument and just like get acclimated to a, a surrounding that you're not used to. Yeah. Um, so I definitely found that in, in those because it was a hit or miss. Sometimes I got lucky, and sometimes the yeah. back line was like. Okay, I I know these symbols. At least I know how to deal with these symbols. Sure. And then sometimes, you know, it was like, <laughs> yeah, I I can't use these. This is not going to work. This yeah, gonna. And I got lucky enough to find someone. It was at a festival actually, and I found someone that I knew, and I was like, oh, can I use your symbols, please? Yeah, <laughs> I sure. have to. You got to save me. But so it was. It was. It was definitely hit or miss. Um, but yeah. it, it just. It I think it just helps you grow. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I had some really heinous symbols at uh, at the Monterey Festival, like and drums, uh, yeah, like, really bad this year. And I was yeah. like, you know what, man? Like, they don't they say they don't have anything else. I'm just gonna play it, and and of course that was like the 
the day where I felt like everybody was seeing us play, you know? Right, 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 right. So they, for all they know, that might have been my gear, you know? And it doesn't, it doesn't, it didn't matter at all. I just, I just made it work, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. So what else do you have on going? I mean, I, I know, you, like you said, like you were talking about the special re- relationship and nature of, of Melissa's group, and you're going to be recording some more with that band performances with that group. What else do you have happen? I know I'm skipping over all kind of things I wanted to cover, but no, it's all good. <laughs> tell me about some other things you have going on presently. Uh, well, yeah, there's a lot of work coming up with that band uh, for sure. Um, you know, I'm constantly still very much a freelancer, even though that is my main uh, highest priority yeah. and, and commitment, but I still do um, freelance quite a bit. I just, uh, just recorded with uh, Ethan Iverson. So that's going to come out at some point oh, next nice. year. What was um, the, what, what was the trio recording? What was the, it format? was a tri- trio, trio recording with uh, Thomas Morgan. Oh, wow. Great. Yeah. Uh, and a bunch of cool originals that, that Ethan wrote. Um, Will that be another Blue Note record? I believe that's a blue note yeah. record. Oh yeah. man, I can't wait to hear that. That's great. Yeah, yeah. So that'll be cool. Um, yeah, that's really exciting. And then you know, I'm still, like, you know, I'm still freelance. I have some more gigs with Ravi coming up. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's it feels like it's going to be an exciting year for 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 some new collaborations too. Um, that's great, man. You know, so. I just yeah. saw what I think, I think it might be recent footage. Um, I was trying to find some, some just more stuff to hear of you the other night. I was just on a late night YouTube kind of bender, you know, and um, I saw some stuff of you playing with, um, with uh, a Claffy and um, Kakoski and Seamus. Oh, sure. Yeah. Who else was on that? Uh was a singer on one tune is that was that for a record project or was that that was uh yeah that was claffy's record um it's actually out now okay i think it just came out recently the full record uh yeah that was a really fun project he has a a, a, a few other really great dramas on there. uh aaron kimmel oh um, i know aaron really well yeah 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 and adam aruda um and so that that was a really fun that was a fun project to put together oh, there's actually i think there was a live uh, we did a live, it was like a live studio. Live in the studio, audience. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. At, at some point. So that was, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Nice, man. Yeah. Um, anything else? Anything else you want to plug? Uh, I don't know. I think uh, <laughs> pl- plugging wise, I think we're all, we're all plugged. Uh, I'm plugged yeah. in. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm just looking forward to a, you know, a really, a really great year with some, cool collaborations you know yeah well this is a stupid question i'm going to ask it anyway though it's funny i always tell you know mike dawson is the host of this drum candy podcast and um my friend tom went and i've been kind of guest hosting a bunch of these you know especially if it's players we've met or we we know people pull people we know in just to sure kind of and just to give it some variety but i always say oh i try not to talk too much about you know too much drum like gear and then mike's like oh it's, yeah it's but it's gear. a drum he's like it's a drum <laughs> gear thing, you know but um this is a, i can't even imagine this but what, what stick are you playing man what do you do you have a, one model you always play or do you, do you dance around i i dance around pretty pretty frequently but right now i've been pretty consistent for the last i would say like two to three years maybe even longer um i go in between because uh, I used to be with Vic Firth, and and now I'm kind of in limbo 
be, between them and Vader. Okay. So I've been trying out some Vader stuff. Uh, with Vic, I usually, I went to, uh, my go-to was the SD4 combo. Okay. Um, maple stick. Yeah, yeah. For maple stick for a long time. Uh, um, and, or the SD2 Bolero. Which okay. Is completely two different. So things. different. Both maple so sticks. Different. Yeah. Both maple sticks. Um, it was more my Brian Blade. Yeah, you get that years. Blade knock like, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but now I'm pretty much ex- almost exclusively using the um, the uh, Vader. Uh, what is it? Um, jazz, um, but sugar maple. What's the or, tip on that? It's like a teardrop. Okay. Yeah. Um, I know, it seems like a lot of guys that play Vader play the like the the eight A sugar maple like like people love those maple sticks with Vader you know I do love the maple the sugar maples are pretty amazing because they just I don't know they just the the, the lightest sticks I've ever felt with still having some you know intensity behind them still having some yeah. backbone behind them yeah I've been trying some some maple stuff I I always I mean we're all different I always find myself going back to the hickory sticks but. But there is something kind of cool about them, you know. I just can't play with hickory uh, personally. It's yeah. only it's just, it's just too dense, and I can't find the sweet spot with them, especially yeah. on the symbol. Sure. You know? Yeah. Um, but that's that's a personal preference. You know, I think I, some of my favorite drummers play hickory with no problems. So oh, sure, man. Like, most guys, I think most people in just the history of drumming have played hickory sticks. But I mean, right. Excuse me. Yeah, I, I I'd like to find some maple versions of some stuff. You know, just to just to if I could, you know, it's it's hard to find that perfect thing. I kind of go back and forth between the 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 eight D Firth, which is you know a little lighter than a five A and a little heavier sure. than a seven A. Like, like a little longer seven A maybe, which is sure. nice. It's a little front heavy, but sometimes I feel like it's a little a little a little more weight than I want. You know, to especially mm. the symbols at times. Yeah, but if I go lighter at the if the taper gets too light at the front and they start to feel mm-hmm. too springy, I feel like there's not enough sound, you know? I understand that. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that. That's why I just go back and forth between so many things because yeah. my, my, my taste for what I want to sound like and what I want to feel changes. Sure. Yeah. You know, and it depends on the stick and the, I mean, the cymbal and the drums and the music yeah. I'm playing, it, it all varies. Do you ever try nylons or always wood? I went through a really heavy nylon phase. Uh, yeah. Between, I would say, it, like my first five years in New York, yeah. and I was, and I used to think it was cheating for a while because I, and I used it for that reason because I was like, well, even if the stick is kind of crappy, I can still get a decent, consistent sound. This is nylon tip. Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, and I just remember there was a, there was a point I was playing at Smalls one night, and Eric Rivas actually came up to me. And we were talking, and he was like, man, you sound incredible. Uh, but I think I would suggest you should stop using plastic. Yeah. And wow. I was like, well, why do you think that, you know? And at that point, I was like, this is my stick, you know? Yeah. And and he was just like, well, you know, there's this energy transfer transference that happens between your hand and the stick to the symbol. Mm-hmm. And when you have plastic that goes to the symbol, it blocks off that energy. So you're only getting a certain kind of sound. You can't really get all of the sound that you want from your body, from your hand. Yeah. You know, you can't you can you can't control the symbol as much as you can when you have just wood hitting the stick. Sure. I mean hitting the symbol. 
I know what you mean. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? So that just stuck with me. I don't know. You know, that's really interesting to hear like a <laughs> bass player come up and tell you that, you know? Well, that's, I, that's why I respected it even more because it was someone from the outer perspective who plays, you know, an instrument that I would, I always love to be very uh, uh, grounded with and very connected with Yeah, giving, giving me an out, out, outer perspective of what, what they're feeling. Yeah. And it resonated with me. So I just never use plastic. Apps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I, I play wood all the, always. And, and I have friends that go back and forth or, you know, you see these guys play a nylon in one hand and a wood in the right, other. Right, sure. It gets to be I've a little, before, it gets too. a little crazy. And then last week, a friend of mine, uh, Mike Dawson actually gave me a, he had some sticks laying around that he wasn't playing. And I took a pair of ADs in nylon, which I had never tried. And I just forced myself to use them on a gig. And I was like, oh, these sound better than I thought they would. And then, right. Of course, then I'll never use them again. You know, I'm back to wood. <laughs> but um, I was just yeah. curious about that. You know, no, for sure. I mean, I I definitely don't. Um, I think all the caps that I that I love using nylon. I think it's good for it works for them. Yeah, you know, and it works for me for a while. But I do feel like my sound uh, is a little easier, more more easily. Uh, uh, um. Uh, what is the word I know what you mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, you, it's you a can, little, you can yeah. connect that. It's translated more. Yeah, yeah, translated. Translated uh, through through the wood. Yeah, you know? nice man. Yeah, yeah. Um, any other newer recordings that we could check out? I, I know you plugged the Ethan thing. And um, the well, there is one coming out, but I don't know exactly when it's coming out. I just recorded with um, this bass player, Noam Weisenberg. Okay. Um, that that's a pretty fun record that's probably coming out um sometime next summer i believe okay um but uh yeah that's i think that's pretty much it i could be forgetting some stuff no, it's okay but, uh, it's, hard to everything, <laughs> it's just been it's been a foggy few months to be honest a lot of travel and i hear you man and just it's good to be on the other side of the year <laughs> yeah i've been i've been kind of enjoying not being out so much it's been mm-hmm. I'm getting old though so that's part of it you know <laughs> um well maybe we could do a part two of this sometime and get into some other stuff um i really I appreciate you making, yeah. making time to talk and i hope to catch up with you soon on the road kush man it's great to great to talk to you some more and uh and um i really appreciate your time man absolutely dave man it's yeah. it's been a pleasure man definitely man hope to see you soon okay absolutely Take all right care. man peace see you all right And that is it for this week's episode. If you enjoy the show, please give us a rating, drop us a review, like, share, subscribe, all that stuff. And also don't forget, we have a Mark Juliana masterclass coming up here at the end of April. It's limited, tickets are moving. So if you wanna come to Pittsburgh and hang out with Mark for a couple hours at Hawthorne Drum Shop, uh, check the link in the description or in the video or the bio on our Instagram page. Um, We want to see you, want to hang out. Okay, that's it. We'll see you next time.